2: Somebody stole our website.
0: Oh, no. Whatever shall we do?
2: I mean, I guess you could go to the new website, http colon slash slash breakingmathpodcast.app with no www for all you old timers.
3: So breakingmathpodcast.app? I mean, if you're into that sort of thing.
0: (laughs) Hey, Breaking Math fans. First, I want to thank you for listening. I have an important message for everyone. You can start your own podcast right now with Anchor. Anchor lets you create and distribute your own podcast. Just get an idea, record, and upload. It's just that easy. Anyone can do it. I'm on my way to accomplishing my dream, and you can too. Just get on your device's app store and download Anchor. It contains everything you need to make a podcast. With Anchor, you can put your podcast on all the big platforms. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon, and more. Reach the whole world with Anchor. Best of all, Anchor is free. You have nothing to lose with a free platform. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
3: Hello. I'm Jonathan Baca, and what you're about to hear is part two of an episode recorded by the podcasting network, Blank for Non-Blank, of which Breaking Math, along with several other podcasts, is a part. To check out part one, just download our catalog. To check out more Blank for Non-Blank content, you can click on the link in the episode description shown by your podcasting player, or go to tinyurl.com batteryhorse. And of course, for more info and interactive widgets, you can go to breakingmathpodcast.com you can support us at patreon.com slash podcast, and you can contact us directly at breakingmathpodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoy the second part of the first Blank for Non-Blank group episode. Thank you.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back or welcome for the first time. If you skipped over part one, you are now listening to part two of the first ever Blank for Non-Blank group episode. The episode is about learning. And in this part of the conversation, we go very much off topic into kind of subtopics. And we talk about perception, specifically how perception can be distorted. We talk about the framework of perception. We talk about social concepts and many other things that quite frankly, I can cannot remember i know that i really had an excellent time listening to this while it was happening i had an excellent time listening to it while i was editing it every single time i go through there is really never a time i listen to it and don't pick up anything new i sound a lot like my professors but that's because they're eloquent i hope you enjoy this episode and if you'd like an introduction to our panelists very quickly we have seth wilson from let's talk talk who is coming at this from a linguistic perspective. We have Chris Cogswell from the Math Scientist podcast, who is generally a sciencey guy. We have... Who, what's his face? Oh, John. Jonathan. We have Mr. Jonathan Baca from the Breaking Math podcast, who is an excellent computer programmer and knows a great deal about algorithms and likes math and sounds like a very good math teacher. Please enjoy. <laughs>
3: Everything's conscious, though,
1: which I actually
4: believe that you believe that all things are conscious. I believe that a I,
1: ball I when hits the ground actually.
3: creates a spark of consciousness.
4: Ah, that's interesting.
1: Could you elaborate?
3: Mm. Sure. A ball hitting the ground creates a little spark of it just like <laughs> it maybe not doesn't know it's a ball. It probably doesn't. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't. There's just like a little like click.
1: Like so far, we've done a pretty good job of covering the problems primarily with like learning and free will. And I actually have a few more questions about that as if we have time, but beneath learning, there's... Consciousness or a general awareness of what is going on. Like, I read an Al Dulce Huxley essay where he was talking about this kind of distinction how there's one part of the mind that is remembers facts and, and has a sort of a personal history and creates concepts and thinks thoughts, but then there's a sort of a secondary part of the mind that when you raise your arm, you really have no clear idea of, of how you've done so. It's this involuntary part of the mind that is constantly there. And that is like the fundamental consciousness. My question is, what is consciousness? How can we best describe it? And how does it interact with with the process of learning? And are they even different?
4: Let me uh, I want to illustrate that exact point that you said, like, we're not quite aware of how we're able to like, I'm aware conceptually of how I'm able to lift my arm up. But I still don't know I'm not like sort of meta aware of that, and and I've thought about this issue a lot with Superman and his ability to fly. Um, Is 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 it active for him? Like, is it like picking your hand up? Can you just fly? So I feel like that's a pretty colorful way to. <laughs> yeah. To introduce that question as well, like like uh, you know, it's it's quite different than you know Martian Manhunter. Like Martian Manhunter is telekinetic, or you know telekinetic, right? Yeah, so they he's just, just do it. With his brain.
1: Uh, I'd say even I, thoughts I, are in, involved. He's actively too. doing it, right?
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, see, that's the question.
1: Uh, I'd right. say
3: evidence that consciousness is not dependent upon choices that we make is things like okay, like just last night, for example, I had sleep paralysis all night and I saw imps. Ugh. And imps are, if you don't know, they're products of the mind. They're terrifying. They're basically creatures that don't exist and have no distinct shape. Um,
4: yeah, you should stop sleeping on your back, dude, because that's probably what's called. I on it. the
3: couch. My my bed was too uncomfortable. But yeah.
4: Oh no no no! I want to hear about the imps. So.
3: I do too. Oh so, yeah, so I, I was I consider myself <laughs> conscious of that experience, but obviously I had no choice. It, which like and when and people argue, some people argue, and I've heard it argued. Okay, that's the truth. I've heard it argued that when you lucid dream, all you're doing is exerting a slight amount of dream control or perception of how you dream, and then remembering it as though you decide. Because I've had mm-hmm. lucid dreams where I don't fly. Mm, sure. I go to the store and order like thirty lollipops. Like, what's that all about? <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's Yeah, no. lucid dreaming is, hila- is a hilarious phenomenon. I was very into it uh, about seven years ago, and I tried to practice it. But I would always end up gaining control and then immediately losing it. So I would like, okay, I can fly, but then all of a sudden cha- I would spin or something, and it would just change. So it's, it's like this, it's not an active thing. Like I, you try to exert some sort of control over it. But like you said, I'm curious as to whether you're just waking up and remembering it this way. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're
5: actually controlling your dreams at all. So one really interesting thing is so I have obsessive compulsive disorder and so part of the training process for like getting better or getting over that, kind of the process of like living with this, is what's known as cognitive behavioral therapy. And I don't know, I don't know if any of you guys know what that is, or any of the listeners at home know what that is, but basically what it is is you train your brain structures to respond differently to scary thoughts or phobic like situations that would make you panic by almost by throwing yourself into them and and making you you sit there with them right Hmm. and but it's a very conceptually it's extremely interesting because what you're doing is you're trying to combat these things called called intrusive thoughts and they're kind of things like um they're just sort of you know for for someone who doesn't Doesn't have this kind of issue, you might have a a thought like you know, oh, I I could uh, you know I don't know oh pineapples are tasty or you know I could I could go to the store right now or I could you know whatever I could take a nap right you'd have these thoughts and they wouldn't bother you Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you'd have thoughts that are completely out of the blue and seemingly distressing right you could have thoughts like oh that tree looks like a snake or you know I wonder if there's a monster under the bed things like that. And so when you have obsessive compulsive disorder, what occurs is the brain doesn't let you get rid of those thoughts until they become a phobia almost, Mm -hmm. right? And so part of the treatment for that is literally training your brain to not involuntarily create – or rather, it's not – you can't control those involuntary thoughts. Those happen always to everyone, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, And and most people just don't remember them. They don't notice them, Mm -hmm. Right. The trick is to then train yourself to not let them continue to be an issue. Or or rather, I think the way that it was described to me that was really effective was imagine you have a – so it goes in a fight or, fight or flight response. You have a, a scary thought and then you immediately go into fight or flight if it's been traumatic to you in the past, mm. right? You know that the sound of a gunshot means that something bad is happening, Right. And so you'll immediately have a flash of panic and want to hide or something, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with with someone with an anxiety disorder or something like OCD or something is that a non-dangerous situation gets linked to a feeling of anxiety. Hmm. So it's something like – I mean it's the same with phobias, right? right? You're on a tall building and you become phobic and over time you just reinforce that. By every time you get near a tall thing, you become scared and scared and scared. Mm -hmm. Right. And so your brain now is trained, almost like Pavlovian conditioning, that every time you see this thing, panic kicks in. And so I find I find it fascinating, at least that you can train the brain to respond differently to inputs that the brain is sending to you that you have no control over. Ultimately,
1: right. right? but That's really my question that for you is i would say do you think that your thoughts are voluntary and is it only the reactions that are involuntary or is it the thoughts as well
5: no well that's well that's the thing is that it's the thoughts themselves are involuntary right but
1: they are But then there's like a second (laughs) you that is looking at those thoughts and saying i don't want these so which one is which one is actually you you know no, and then there's a no. third you
5: that exists all of its you. And that's part of the difference between what we would consider to be cognition versus simply learning to pull in information and then spit it out in a, in a useful way. Well sure,
4: I mean we already we all know that me as a human being, I have tiny little cells that are all individually alive as well. So it's not like it's an it's an unheard of concept to be made of me. you know many parts and especially, uh, internally. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's 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 just incredible, but
5: it's, (laughs) it's just an interesting, I know I find it, I find it very fascinating that the, the brain can almost be tricked in that Mm -hmm. way. Right. Mm -hmm. Being a scientist in the Boston area for, you know, a little while. Um, I have a lot of friends that work in biology or in medical technology and things like that. And so one of the most interesting series of tests that, that have been going on uh, relatively recently, at least, is the ability to shock the brain, literally shock the brain, to cause different experiences to occur to someone, right? Whoa. Yeah. And a lot, of, and a lot of these things happen. A lot of these things happen by accident. We find out. So one, one really uh, famous one that happened not very long ago, and this actually didn't happen in, in Boston. This one happened in, I think, Alberta, Canada, or somewhere in Canada, maybe, maybe Ottawa. At one of yeah, I mean, we can just name every area of Canada: <laughs> Monte- yeah. Montreal, Montreal, Montreal Quebec, Toronto, you I mean uh, Saskatchewan? Want to come anywhere? But the fascinating thing was they were trying to treat a female with epilepsy, mm. right? And so what they were trying to do was one of the treatments for epilepsy is to provide basically shock therapy to the brain to try and I, I suppose it's to try and. And change the way that the brain responds to the to the stimuli, or maybe even to find what portion of the brain it is that's causing the epileptic seizures to occur. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because they don't if they don't know right, what exactly. structure it is, they may not know how to treat it. What they found though is when they when they were supplying this voltage to this this woman's brain, at a certain area of the brain, she would notice basically like shadow people, dark figures in the room with her, kind of like the imps you were talking about. Right. Right. She would notice that that was occurring to her. And at at another different area of the brain, this was the same researcher, I'm sure it was with a different person, but I mean, who knows? They claimed you would be able to see, you know, like the tunnel of light that's uh, that people say they see when they die, right? That you're going to heaven or whatever.
3: I'm Jonathan. And I'm Gabriel. And we here at Breaking Math are big on many things. We're big on math. We're big on science, and we're big on learning.
2: Today, we are very excited to introduce our new sponsor, Brilliant.org, because they are big on the same things that we are. Brilliant is an amazing resource for anyone who, like you, loves to learn.
3: This partnership means a lot to us. Uh, I'd like to say off script that we know that our goal here is to teach people. I used to be a tutor, and teaching people is one of the greatest joys I've ever had, and Brilliant really jives with my worldview. Um, So back on script, the best way to learn math is through active problem solving, and Brilliant.org emphasizes that a lot.
2: The other day I was working through the course called The Joy of Problem Solving, and I was really impressed with the visuals which help those who are struggling to master math. When I started the quiz called Flipping Pairs, I was really surprised that I could actually interact with the image, and that helped me to really work on my intuition to solve the problem.
3: And if you ever get stuck, you could just say, show me the solution, Uh, click on that button. They provide some really, really nice scaffoldings to help you get a good grasp of the concepts to use uh, and then work with them and then get through the quiz.
2: So I will just say you have to check this website out. Go to www.brilliant.org slash breaking math, which lets them know that we sent you. You've got to check it out, guys. It is great. It really
3: is. And now, on to the rest of the episode.
5: Uh, the, the patient basically had an out-of-body experience. Well, when they almost die. Right.
3: Nobody says that when they die.
5: Right, right, of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I know you're correct. <laughs> You'll never guess what I saw. <laughs>
6: yeah. No, uh, when Jonathan, they almost I to, die.
4: Yeah, I wanted to, you, you mentioned b- briefly a second ago that, you, that there's a, a third you. Can, you. can you elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that?
3: Uh, what I meant was the social you the you that yeah. exists in as a representation. Uh, okay. Because for, but that's a uh, concept. I, I, I bet, yeah, but our, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a difference between the concept and the thing. Um, it
1: is. There is a difference, I think, because the concept can't do anything like that. If there is like a, a third one, which is just the conceptual one, that one isn't actually real, but we we need it in order to categorize sort of things in the world and in our mental frameworks that we develop.
3: See, um, that's not what I meant. Yeah, You should check out what I meant Go was ahead. the you, you, that exists in the brains of people around you. When they talk about you, that conception changes. Mm-hmm. It's dynamic. Oh, and the reason why I say that is because, Chris, you did not come up with CBT. Um, somebody else came up with it, and that's part of this extended you, this sort of...
5: Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. That is that is actually very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one that's part of one... Really famous concept in philosophy is – this is famous spe- specifically in existentialism is the concept of the other, right? Of how other people relate to you. It's the Russians. And that's kind of what you were getting at I think. I think that's very interesting, this, mm-hmm. this sense of how do we – because we don't we don't always think of it that way, right? I mean I think most people, when they think of their life, it's very easy to consider yourself to be the star – Of your own show. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah, in order to
4: understand other people's points of view, you have to experience things, something called ego loss. And I think we're all probably, and and usually people will try to induce that with things like LSD in a scientific, like, so they have controlled studies where they'll do or they have before in the seventies where they would do try to induce ego loss so that people could experience what it's like to see themselves in like third person as not mm-hmm. the main character of
5: the universe. And it's a very right. interesting experience I would imagine. Yeah. It's just super fascinating. I mean I yeah, I I would never have I and mean, see that's the thing. I don't think I don't think any of us, I mean, I mean, Jonathan, you, you, you did, you brought it up, but I don't, I don't think if you had not brought that up, I don't think the three of the rest of us would have thought of that had we been talking Absolutely the rest not. of the night. No,
6: <laughs>
5: you know I mean? a, 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 a
4: social <laughs> understanding of yourself is very bizarre to, because yeah. I mean, you know, in, in, passing, I think we all think like, Oh, why do, what do what other people think of me? But we don't stop to think about like, Oh, that is a form of Seth. Like the way that Chris sees Seth is Seth. Right. It's interesting.
5: Right, and we also we also don't tend to think of ourselves. I mean, that's again we're getting we're getting deep into philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, Great. I want I to bring it
1: back to science. Let's but some aren't science. there like <laughs> infinite Seths? Because nobody else's concept of Seth is the same as the other person's concept of Seth, including Seth's
5: ah uh, okay well now we're, oh, right. you know, we're it's the right, coastline right. So, of britain infinites it's a fractal question <laughs> well, okay, okay, not, not, <laughs> the limit the limit as seth approaches infinity is equal to oh, yeah, God, yeah no, we're getting please. we're getting there the recursive the, seth, that, seth, that is, that a might seth have, is a seth a <laughs> seth i was gonna say that might have been a joke for for jonathan and i <laughs> and, and like and like five other listeners who were like haha limit jokes although in my mind you uh, meta listeners are laughing, so that's great. Congratulations! <laughs> One thing I wanted um, to bring all the infinite uh, Seths are laughing, of,
3: also. Oh yeah, when uh, when uh, Chris, you're talking about obsessive uh, obsessions and compulsions or whatever. Uh, is that what they're called? Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. That's um, what they're called. Yeah,
3: I suffer from a similar thing called intrusive thoughts, which are I think different because yes. the content of them is intrinsically something that should if it were to exist, be feared. I'm only comfortable talking about the violent ones.
5: So I, so I have, I have the same, I have the same thing. That's, it's complete. It's all within the same. I think for me, when I first noticed it as a thing that other people didn't have was when we were reading John Paul Sartre in freshman um, existentialism. (laughs) And it was like, and, and he mentions, he mentions the story of the housewife who's sitting in the, parlor of her home looking out the window and she thinks to herself i could jump out the window at this moment yeah,
4: i was gonna chris i was gonna say that i was is this I, that's the human condition that everyone experienced it that like they call it well the call of the void so, like
5: it's so the difference you, right right the difference is that when other people have those thoughts it does not distress them for hours but then when it distresses yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you, I, I didn't and, mean and, to and, and, also, and it, No, 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 no. no. I, 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 I'm at, but that's but – that's, well, that's the thing though. That's how – that's part – I mean if you believe in this kind of idea of like social or psychology, psychological conditioning or whatever, that's the trick. The trick that it does, the reason that it happens is that your brain is you know, not making enough chemicals somehow mm-hmm. or making too much or whatever it is. I, I've never really gone into the biochemistry part of it too hard. But – it's basically this idea that when other people have an intrusive thought, it doesn't recur. So, like, it's kind of like that, you know, everyone at home listening, I want you to not think about red elephants.
4: It's an, Yeah, no. It's never are, you not think, yeah. Are, are you not thinking about them? I'm not thinking about
5: Well, there um, we go. Got whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, we're Insert doing word horns. tricks now. I see how it is. Insert air horns. Um, the... Yeah, it's that trick of other people when they when they hear don't think about red elephants, they will think about it once and then maybe they'll move on in a couple of minutes. For someone with an anxiety like this or intrusive thoughts like dealing with those things that it's a problem for them, it'll just keep coming back. Wow. And hmm. what it ends up turning out is that the longer that you try to make yourself feel better about the thought or its contents or even just having the thought or whatever, the more you'll think about mm-hmm. it because you're like – you know. Well, I'm not going to think about red elephants. I would never buy a red elephant. You know what I mean? Why am I thinking about red elephants? Like wh- red, red so stupid, that's such an ugly color, and elephants are ugly. I don't even like elephants. And then but you're still thinking about it, right? But then it gets worse mm. and worse and worse too. Right. And it and it ramps up, it kind of the intensity of it kind of crescendos and then goes down and then crescendos again. And so what it ends up what ends up being the case is that the best way to stop having that anxious moment and and this is the same way with the red elephants argument, is to think about red elephants so much that they become boring.
1: Yeah, flatten them <laughs> <out>. <laughs> You know what I mean?
5: <laughs> to think right. To think about them so much that your body is no longer responding in a fight or flight way, and you you come down. And it's it's very very similar again to the idea of like you know uh, neuro linguistic saturation. Like if oh, I you're
4: s- talking about semantic 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 satiation. I, I, like did I say, say it wrong? Bis-
3: uh, w- like if I say like Clyde 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 Clyde. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. If you say biscuit too many times, it starts becoming meaningless.
5: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's very similar to that actually. And it's almost, it's almost a, I like to think of it like working out a muscle or something, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The longer you work it out, the less pain there's going to be in you lifting Mm -hmm. up a certain weight. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. I used to have this friend, Brianna, and, and the first time I had a thought about strangling her to death, I was like eight years old at the mall. So every time I went to the mall, I thought about strangling her to death. And it was extremely, <laughs> extremely Almighty. bad. Like it it distressed me. And then I started having the thoughts it, when I yeah. wasn't at the mall, anytime I was near like a shopping center. And then anytime I hung out with her and it got worse and worse. So yeah, that happens to
4: everyone, but it bothers you and it is persistent to you. Right. Is that what you're saying? Because obviously I've been, you know, next to a very high cliff and say, wow, I could definitely throw myself off of this and I would I would be dead. And, and honestly, you're, yeah, it, that's your yeah. brain telling you that you're in control of the situation and to not do that because it's not safe. So if I'm hearing you right, it's that it's persistent, and ongoing, and it will not leave you alone. Yeah, and your brain just,
3: and because of uh, what I have, which is a schizoaffective disorder, I think it's part of the brain just kind of likes to be creative with really messing with you, so it's like the (laughs) thoughts get oddly specific, they build upon each other. There's the study that was done where they told people to not say polar bear, or I don't know if it was polar bear, it might have been a different word, it was some kind of animal, but to talk as fast as they could, and on average they said polar bear several times a minute.
4: Wow. So it's just that—that's actually called priming, right? So you can do this all the time, like uh, with pretty much anything. You can—you can actually prime someone's grammar. If you're ever in a room full of people, start a sentence with "That I eat is good" or something like starting it with a a conjunction. That is super rare in English, but you'll find that everyone around you will be using it far more than they would ever Mm. use it in their normal life. Because if I, yeah, no, so you can prime people with any word. So you can go—you can go in and say, "Oh, uh, epiphenomenon." So now you guys are gonna have epiphenomenon on your head in your brain and you're gonna find a reason to use it So like maybe maybe not now that I've told you that but that may be a, a meta prime who knows <laughs> um, But so th- that happens that happens not just with language but obviously with just concepts at all like anytime you do something you prime yourself or if you say, hey don't do this, you're just t- priming them
3: to do it right It's a whole concept be- yeah. b- behind why advertising works at all
4: Correct. Do, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need this underwear. Me undies. Brought to you by uh, Me undies. <laughs> Use the
5: coupon code. Uh, okay, blank now, blank. let's let's leave Me undies out of it. Was, my butt has never felt more comfortable. Okay, <laughs> like, <Yeah>. if <laughs> Me wants to sponsor my show, I'm gonna jump on that deal. Yeah, right? they're
4: lined with microbial, uh, antimicrobial
5: uh, silver lining. I don't they. even. I don't even care. <laughs> they're like made of silk or something. It's the best feeling in the world. One really, really interesting piece of this that I think Me undies. You oh, got yeah. me off the top. You got me off the my mic- train the with me on man or whatever. I'm dying right now. What was it? No, we were talking oh, about intrusive oh, thoughts oh, oh, oh. and the semantic Okay. I'm back. I'm back with it now. Okay. One really interesting thing with this, and this is something that this is something that comes up on my show a lot because we deal with cases where people are seeing things that aren't like normal. They're not average mm-hmm. kind of things you experience. And there's always Mm -hmm. the question of, well, you know, oh, that that person must have been having a hallucination or something. And it's like the idea that that hallucinations are much less common than we than they actually are or misremembering things. Mm -hmm. Right. And and that comes down to this concept of we don't really talk to other people about how we think. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, before at the very beginning, Seth, you said, well, you don't think in words. right? Right. Right. And I and, and I immediately thought, oh, crap, I do think in words. No, no. <laughs>
4: oh, no. Do you think in words? You
5: know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I understand. Yeah. What, yeah. But like, here's the
4: thing to clarify a little bit for the folks at home and for everybody, for us, just for the sake of conversation. I'm not saying it's impossible to say words in your brain. You can. But when you think you do not think in words, people can think without language. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, deaf people don't think in sign language. There's
3: an experiment I'd like to bring up where they they'd put two sheets up like walls. They were white or some color. Then they put two sheets to make it a box, and these two are reds. So they have red, white, red, white as a box. They put a banana behind one corner of the box, had the person walk around, and then after a while said, okay, what corner is it behind? And they were able to get most of the time. When they had that person reciting what somebody else was saying or reading a newspaper as they walked around they only had a 50% chance of getting it right because <laughs> they couldn't talk themselves <laughs> through it
5: hmm. yeah I was going to say I mean I actually find so I have always thought and this and this is again very something very interesting right I have always thought that I think much more clearly when I say the things in my head and actually even sometimes visualize the words themselves or the functions the math of what I'm thinking about, than if I try to do it visually, yeah, it's like rubber, well, yeah, it's like rubber duck yourself. programming. Yeah, yeah like I, I have a, I have a, and, but that's something that. So I okay, uh, when I was a, I have two stories that kind of go to this. When I was a kid, I used to hate sleeping at my Aunt Janice's house because when. They turned the lights off in her, in her, in the guest room, whatever. She lived in Jersey, and I grew up in New York. And so in New York, when you turn the lights off in your house, it's still like you can still read at night. You right. know what I mean? Because like it's bright. There's, there's, it's never dark in New York. You know what I mean? But in Jersey, she lived like in uh, in a forest and it was pitch black. And so at nighttime, when they would shut the lights can help off, me to candy? I, okay, no, I, I would, uh, I would see, um, Almost like I would see stars. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually, those, it actually beams? turns out it's a. V- what happened? Phosphemes. Yes, exactly. No. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's a. V- it turns out it's a relatively common phenomena, right? That children when they when they close their eyes, or even when they sit up, and in uh, adults too, right? I mean, if you rub your eyes, you'll see what I was seeing. I do that on purpose. You all what I mean, the time. you'll it's get fun. It oh, is wow. fun, right? But it's. It's just kind of, you know, like a, a weird trick of the brain that happens to some people. You know what I mean? But when yeah. I was a kid, I was like, oh, good. I'm going blind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, like you know what I mean? You don't, you don't know what's going on. You're like eight, you're eight years old. You're in a terrifying forest in the middle of Jersey. Uh, terrifying as, you know what I mean? Like, it was... It was scary, right? Yeah, and I, it wasn't. Course. And it wasn't not. It wasn't not scary for me until I was like thirteen, and we had the internet, and I googled it, or I'd not even Google that. It, it would probably like <laughs> ask Jeeves did or something. Oh my, horrible. Lord. You know what I mean? Disgusting. And it's part, yeah, I know. What a what filthy a, oh man. Gross. But I, I had another experience like that when I was older in grad school. We were we were all out at a bar. It was like all the first year students and we were all talking about like what our favorite music was and whatever. And a friend of mine at the bar with us was like, I actually can't like I don't get music like he his brain doesn't when he listens to music, his brain does not get the melody. He can tell you what the beat of the music is just as like a factual thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But he can't like he can listen to a jingle or a song. He can't whistle the song back to you. Desponado.
4: <laughs> well, I he, think that's yeah. I mean, you know that. Um, like I have a we, I have a couple. Of, I have a uh, a friend who's getting his a uh, PhD in um or his yeah his PhD in music theory or uh-huh. getting, finishing up his masters, pursuing his PhD. And we have a couple episodes where we talk about that. Yeah, and, and there's yeah, yeah, so, yeah. There's so much. Theory, I mean, not theory, I'm so sorry. There's so much uh, social, there's such a huge social component to how we register music. There have been experiments in, in like sort of non, no contact tribal zones where they would play for like indigenous people in, in you know, uh, Brazil. And they would play, he mentioned one specific instance where they played the theme from Psycho and the, the villagers thought it was like a very exciting celebratory song because it was like very fast, like the only oh, thing God, that 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 was perceived. <laughs> Right so like it, it, like we it's just called, like why is a minor chord sad? Well it's social. It's not inherently sad. That's These things true. are just right. subjective yeah, Early yeah,
1: Christian I've happy music.
3: The early Christian music from the 1st and 2nd centuries AD like a 2nd and 3rd or I can't remember one of those early centuries AD was all done in like minor chords and it was supposed to be joyous.
4: Of course. Right and you can have sad major chord you know major uh, key Music and, and they like, he showed me lots of it's It's very like mind blowing at the massive similarities that like linguistic system or like language and music have, and how also incredibly divergent they are. Because I, I do think sure. that music is is an epiphenomenon that sort of emerged with cognition. But language, I believe, is we have a mechanism that allows us to use that because no
5: other animals can. So I actually had a question. Sorry, Stephanie, I don't mean to <laughs> no, be
1: you're- stepping on your hosting <laughs> this is <great>. toes here.
5: <laughs> I actually had I actually had a question for uh, for you for you two other podcast hosts here and Stephanie too of course of
1: course You're hosting this podcast I'm hosting this one <laughs> podcast yes
5: <laughs> you're phenomenal it's
1: going it's great we're awesome. yeah. having a great time
5: really going good also uh, okay <laughs> we said it would be organic eventually you just had to light the spark right. with okay so language and math are both their own symbolic symbolic or you know representative methods of of some facts of the world or or some way of representing uh, the the world as we find it into you know uh, repeatable and sensible kind of little bits right mm-hmm. now one very interesting question that always comes up and it's something actually that I think we got to we got close to it with the discussion about can you think so you argued that you could think without words. Yes. Right? Yep. You could think without language. I agree with you there that you could think without language. However, is there is there an age? Is there a part – a point where you can no longer teach someone these sorts of languages, whether it be mathematics or it be – Barrel if, if you've never introduced the concept – again? children have no ability – Exactly
4: right. Yeah, I was thinking. Called, I was thinking yeah. of
5: cases of feral children, right. but there's I also, only one
4: that's very well studied. And I'm going to let yeah. you finish the question because I'm really, really curious to see what it is. But in that particular study, it, there's a lot of ethical issues. We couldn't follow up. But it seems that of after course. after the critical age, which is somewhere between the ages for for, uh, for phonology, it's six months. So crazy, crazy young. And then for syntax or grammar, it's uh, from seven to eleven years old. Uh, And then at that, you can notice it. So whenever if you have a a child, you'll you'll probably will notice at the point when they're about seven years old. When I said they started using grammar correctly or like wrong, that means that they're no longer acquiring language,
5: right? Uh, Where they start where they start not using grammar, they start learning,
4: right? Exactly, right? Yeah. So when they do when they do when they use bad grammar, it means that they are learning. They have they are hearing you do things. Uh, As with a pattern, and then they start doing that. Until then, they acquire it. They have no effort in learning it at all. Oh, so when they Um, do
3: it bad, they're learning, and everybody deserves a trophy. You millennial, just kidding.
4: It's also, it's also. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get on a soapbox for two seconds, and I will say it's completely useless to correct the grammar of anyone if the language is understood. It doesn't help them, um, and it doesn't help you especially children. So if a children said I goad, there's no reason to tell them went. They're just going to hear you say goad again. It's it's because it's not it's irrelevant. It's it's like they will learn it naturally. It's a social thing, but once they've acquired language, they already have it. So when they do things like goad, that's just your brain going through the process of applying the rules that they're hearing you use with other words
6: computer solitaire huh
0: ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over a 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes
5: chumbacasino.com no necessary forward by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hmm. well mm-hmm. so i i guess what i was going to what i was going to ask is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i uh, I'm always thinking about because I like you know I I kind of taught at the graduate level a little bit. I tutored for a a long time, different subjects and whatever. And the question I always have is with with say mathematics, right? We introduce the concept of a number very early, right? I mean, when a kid's learning how to count, they're Mm -hmm. probably five or six.
3: Well, babies know how to recognize uh, groupings of up to a few.
5: Groupings. Okay. So, yeah, in some ways, I mean, num- numbering of things and labeling of things, both of those are kind of intrinsic, right? right. I would
4: argue, and we could, yeah, 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 You can illustrate that. Like, uh, I know Daniel Everett. He's like super duper um, controversial because most of them think he's, you know, just full of crap. I mean, I'm, I'm one of them, but there are some interesting components. <laughs> he stu- he studied this language in South America called uh, like Piraha or something like, and it apparently doesn't have a future or past tense, and it also doesn't have any system of counting. So they say like. It, it, but here's to, to really illustrate to at home. Do you genuinely believe that because they don't have words for numbers, that they don't understand the concept that they have three children? Like they know there's children, children, child, child, child. No, well, no, of course not. Concepts are before language. You don't think in labels, right? You think in in concepts.
5: But right. So the, so here's the thing. Just <laughs> yeah here's here's the well here's the the part that I was kinda yeah i'm really 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 interested in in Jonathan's answer here is because like I use math every I mean i use math every day it's definitely math is like a you know whatever my p h d might as well have been in math right engineering is just applied to math ultimately at a certain level i would wonder i would think i always think of functions and things like calculus and And trigonometry and things like that, anything that uses functions. I always think of functions as similar to the grammar of a language of numbers, right? That functions are like a language. And so I always wonder why when we teach children math, children to young adults mathematics, we introduce the concept of Numbers first, I guess it's like introducing the concept of letters first. But we never, we don't even touch functions really, until they're in, I mean, middle school to high school, mm-hmm. right? To me, it's 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 almost as if the first ten to eleven years of your life, you just learned number, you just learned letters and how letters go together to make words, right? But you, but you never learn how to put them into a sentence mm-hmm. to usefully represent something.
6: Mm-hmm. Do you
5: know what I mean? So I, I actually do. I actually wonder then about the ability because there are a lot of adults who who can't think in terms of mathematical functions. Well, right. Uh, I would argue that someone who's been trained, someone who's been, and I think I don't know. I guess I just, I, I just always wonder that. Like you know, when I try to explain to my mom. You know, like, I don't know, velocity or something, right? Or she'll, she'll listen to my podcast, and she'll ask about some math thing I've said or something else, and I'll try to explain it to her, and she's just like, well, I just – I don't get it. Like I can't – I don't see like a graph in my brain. I can't – you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
4: Well, yeah. And, and I, I want to just really, really super quick. I don't know if it's a direct parallel because uh, going back to acquiring versus learning, like whenever you say uh, – what you just d- described, like it would be as if we were learning letters to put together and make words but never actually have like a functioning thing. That's acquired. We already know that. So what you're learning in school is like orthography.
3: I'd like I'd like to say something about the way that mathematics is, is acquired, having taught brilliant students and having taught students who I wish had better teachers before me because it seems that something c- does cement for math learning. There's this 24-year-old who I taught who's the girlfriend of a good friend of mine a long time ago, and she could not comprehend what multiplication was. I had to teach her with pebbles. She never got that. So then you have that side of the spectrum. Then you have, I think, the average side of the spectrum where people understand things like, I I, I think that it's, for me, uh, the way that I experience mathematics is, I don't think it's applicable to everybody because, first of all, I was taught it at a very early age so there's some kind of weird synesthetic part of me that thinks about like rotating uh, like ro- rotating uh, masses and like cubes that transform into a circle like for example with an exponential function, I think about the feeling of compression uh, mixed with uh, the look of a sphere so that's not that's not relatable. So, so I think that you can have thought outside – so when I manipulate these things and when I design algorithms, I'm doing them completely outside of verbal stuff. I'm using some other weird kind of thing. But then the question is, can that be reduced to a verbal concept or is it less than a verbal concept or am I fooling myself into thinking that I'm not using words when I do this? Mm-hmm,
5: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I always, I guess that's the, I guess that is part of the, I mean, we kind of came full circle back to that original point of, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was kind of in vogue to talk about visual learners versus auditory learners right. and whatever. Right. And I mean, it's probably part of the reason why we've been giving the given the monstrosity of PowerPoint presentations, you know, it's like, uh, it's trying to merge the, the worlds, the worlds together, um, in a weird <laughs> way, but Whenever I try to teach someone applied mathematics for like engineering courses or something I always try to start by talking about how the graphs of the things look or the how the the functions themselves fit together logically right that this is just the rate you know um, this is just the rate of change of concentration with time, or or position with time, or velocity with time, or whatever. Right when you're trying to get to a higher a higher level, and then that's what a derivative or an integral will do. And you know what I mean? Like I, it's. See, I take the, a little bit of the
3: opposite of, approach when I'm teaching. Sure. And I try to teach to let them know why they should care about it first. Uh, like uh, for example, with matrices, I say. First of all, a matrix is a bunch of rows and columns of numbers and, and then just forget that for now because we're not going to talk about that for a while. And then I tell them, mm-hmm. imagine a sphere. It's spinning around and it's made out of a, a liquid. So when it spins, it goes outward. So you have this sort of flat sphere. That's what a matrix does to a sphere. And then we go from there back to the numbers.
5: Mm-hmm. Interesting. That is an extremely applicable and really good... That's an awesome man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm blown. I got I got shivers just now, dude. I'm like, not even kidding. <laughs> oh I'm totally nerding out right now. That's that's amazing. That's a really, really great explanation for
1: man is logic a voluntary kind of thinking or is it involuntary? Like we said, other thoughts are. To, it's kind of taking it back to what we were talking about way before. But
4: there's an experiment. Is logic voluntary? Is that what you're? Yeah, asking? like
1: is logical uh, thinking is that is that a voluntary process, or is it something that you have kind of trained your brain to to do, and that you're doing it involuntarily? And it's I'd following say needs a lot of like, training. Yeah.
5: Can any of us honestly say? Sorry, sorry. I was just. Can any of us honestly say that if someone. Like if if the Rock came up to you and like spit on your shoes, can you log- Can you honestly say you wouldn't get extremely angry? <laughs> you know what I mean, and not be like, and not be like, well, logically, the Rock can murder me <laughs> right now with his bare hands. And so, I'm, I mean, although the Rock, I've heard, is a very nice man. Yeah, you know what right. I mean. Yeah. Like, can can any of us really say that we have disengaged? That like the angry. Guerrilla part of no, the world. Well, not only like that, look
3: at that. the popularity of gambling and the the empirical results of this game. There's hundred dollars in a pot. Uh, you could either take all the money or wait. Oh no, there's a $100 in the pot and one, okay, let me start over. There's a plate <laughs> and there's $100 in a pot a and now. then there's you put $1 on the plate. You can either take it or wait until the other person takes their turn and then the other person would get $2 and then if they wait you get $3 and so on. The most logical choice is to get you the highest expected amount of money is to take the very first dollar and not let the other person try at all because then you have a chance of losing. But most people when they try this out don't do that they wait to get the money
4: well yeah and and, think of it this way too like it it, it's okay i'll give you a disgusting example so let's say i logically understand that if i eat five cans of vienna sausages filled with tabasco sauce that it's going to be empty calories and that i shouldn't do that because of my goal of losing fat but I want those Vienna sausages and eat them anyway, even though I logically understand the consequences. So, yeah, Dustin, I think it is voluntary. I think you, you have to – it takes quite a bit of training, like you guys have said, that logic is not something that is just innate or, or, or that, that it's um, – well, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't know. It might be innate and we just need training to use it.
3: Seth, right. I have a question for you. Yeah, let's have it. Why did you eat six cans of vienna
4: sausages? (laughs) It was only five. It was only five, Jonathan, for goodness sake. No, no. it's okay. Since I was in seventh grade, it's so weird because it reminds me of being in poverty, and I wasn't ever really in poverty to begin with. But I would eat a vienna sausage. I have no idea. I get these weird cravings for, like, nasty canned meats, and it's disgusting, and there's no reason for it goodness yeah no no and it's it's so weird because i like i'm a big fan of like spam you know and i, I, don't, I don't have <laughs> to eat these things it's not, it's not due to anything it's like i'll go volunteer i'll be like going down the aisle and i'll just be like okay well let me just get some vienna sausages and fill them up with tabasco sauce and eat that <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know oh, why i do it y'all so that's that's what a
5: time yeah it's, it's what a, t- a time to be a What a time to be alive indeed I can buy tiny sausages and cans that's right. Yeah, so I, actually you were – Jonathan, your story was reminding me of – I saw a really funny – a really funny – well, funny kind of funny video and it's based on I guess actually kind of a, a relatively – I think this study was done on a more serious scale. But anyways, the idea is you have, a, you have kids in a room and each kid you put a marshmallow in front of them and you tell them if you can wait a minute. I'll give you another marshmallow, or you can have that marshmallow now, and the kids will invariably pick the one marshmallow. Really?
3: Well, the ones who don't have better success later in life. Uh, Is that is that what the study is? They tested them ten years later and checked their bank accounts and stuff. Oh, okay, okay.
4: (laughs) Well, let me ask this: like, do you guys do you guys think Uh, that it's that it's that immediate sort of satiation is innate? And that logic is something we pick up.
3: I'd say it's more nuanced it than that.
4: By, okay. All
3: right. Cool. I'd say that well, there well, is. The thi- uh, uh, I'm. I'm. I'm there's, sorry. There's yeah, a lag ahead. in the conversation, but no, um. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. There is. Go there's um. I'd. And the, this has actually been uh, demonstrated. I can't remember through what which experiment, but there's an innate, innate amount of interest that we have. Um, as human beings, that we put on experiences. So let's say you have a very high interest, mm-hmm. a, a very high rate of interest, then waiting is going to be difficult for you. Mm-hmm. So if you have a low rate of interest, that's where, like, you even, like, that's when you, and this is when your situations where you p- apply math without even knowing it. Also, when you catch a ball, you're doing differential calculus, but that's beside the point.
4: Right. And I was going to, are we talking about formal logic? Or are we talking about sort of the, uh, t-
5: the uh, layman understanding of logic. I mean, the so the problem with this kind of argument is that we always. This gets into what's called the naturalist fallacy. Yeah, the naturalist fallacy is, I'm sure, as you guys all know. And this is just for you know for 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 everyone who who may not. The naturalist fallacy is basically it's it's called the is ought problem because something is a certain way. It ought to be that way. So we've always eaten meat, so we ought to eat meat, right? Right. It, it's kind of like a you you ascribe, you ascribe a moral claim, a normative moral claim to a factual thing about the way the world is and assume since that's the way it's been, it must be the right way or the good way, right? It's the way things should be. Now, on the other side of that – I think we're edging kind of close to the idea that it's what's called a just so story, which is we look at the way – we have two assumptions coming into it. The first assumption is that we are, we are animals who are natural things, right? So we get free will out of the equation, let's say. And then the second part of that assumption would be that the way that we do things now is logical, is the right Or not not logical, let's say. The other assumption then made is that because these things are the way they are now, they must be the right way, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and if they're the right way, it's because they are the biological way, right? So it's kind of this argument like, you know, why does Billy play acoustic guitar? Oh, because, you know, acoustic guitar gets all the ladies and then therefore Billy will be able to pass on his genes and it's better for the species. It's that kind of silly argument, Mm -hmm. right, where you – you take a macro scale social thing and you turn it into a biological construct, right? Mm. Or you try to explain it using biology when really the two things are so far apart that there's no causal chain left. But well, what can that, I do to the that, 1950s really... gender roles? Just kidding. <laughs> oh, God. Well, no, well, well, what? Well, so, well, so what I was going to say is – just quick. Um, what I was yeah, going to yeah. say is that arguing then that logic is intrinsic or log- logic is biological – I think kind of edges us kind of close to that problem of saying that because we cur- like, what is what is logical? Well, you know what whatever I mean? we say it is. Well, That's it's, it's not, it exactly. <laughs> really. And so we turn it into like, you know, if we were utilitarians. Then we would argue that the logical choice would always be the pragmatic one, and then therefore that is a that is what bio, biology has told us to do, right? If we were nihilists or people who believed that uh, humans are innately selfish, then we would say that the selfish choice is always the logical one and therefore the right choice or the one that biology would tell us to make. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a, it's almost it's almost um, axiomatic. Right. Well. exactly. Like logic. Logic is itself a byproduct of our time and our culture and whatever. And so, or at least how we think of logic is a byproduct of all these other things. I would argue that categorization is innate to us. I would argue that counting is innate to us. I would argue that that recognition of patterns is innate to us. Right. And all of those things, eventually I do think lead to something like logic, like a deductive process. do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and they, I mean, they do, right? But I would argue, though, that a, that subscribing a specific logical system to that is probably like, it's probably a bridge too far, you know?
4: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. And like, I've, I've spoken to, uh, to, just to exemplify this. So I've, I've actually used this example, Stephanie, I think, but I'll use it with you guys and, and hope you haven't heard me say it. <laughs> uh, so, like, <laughs> To, to to you said that it's sort of a it's an innate thing to our brains love to categorize and I think that is true because you can you find this in language all the time and in just cognition so okay so there's there's a sport where you have this round orange ball right and and w- what is that called?
3: I feel like I'm being tricked.
4: No, no, you're not. Me too, me too. No, 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 (laughs) don't feel – no, no, no. This is very straightforward. So it's a sport, and there is a ball that is used in it. It's very large and orange. I'm
3: going to put my head out and say um, basketball.
4: That's correct. It's a basketball. And and, and whenever you think of a basketball, typically we think sports, right? We think the sport of basketball. However, if you are on a sinking ship – and there is nothing in the room but this round orange object. Is that still a basketball
5: used only for sports? Mm, I see what you're saying. Right, so... So you were tricking us. So (laughs) (laughs) concepts. Just at the end.
0: Just at the end. (laughs) So so this kind of
4: comes full circle back to our idea of like, okay, words or concepts? You know, like, are they stagnant or are they not? Of course they're not. Because you can change something you fundamentally understand into a different category and it becomes something fundamentally
0: different. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. This
3: question even edges upon tangentially questions like Do real numbers exist
5: in the universe?
4: (laughs) Exactly, right. Exactly.
5: Yeah, somewhere out there, there's like a floating, a giant golden E. You know, <laughs> you, know, like, you know like there's a there's a giant there's a there's a, a giant gamma with you know gamma function of whatever floating out there like oh, yeah but if you take a you'll never be able to solve me you know like if you take a viking
3: um, crystal and shoot a particle at it then you get like an intrinsic square root and then how does that exist in the universe and that just trips me out but I
5: yeah oh, I th- yeah i know all that honestly the That's a topic that we keep like – I have a list of topics that I want to do that I know are going to take me far too long to do and like nestled right there in between, you know, between like the Mothman sightings. (laughs) Oh, those are fine. And you know nut stuff that we talk about on my show, there is our numbers intrinsic, right? That that whole thing about you find, you know, just people finding – the fact that circles or or hexagons are a common shape because they're the most, you know, a surface tension wise, they're the most efficient use of energy in space. Well,
4: it's Chomsky, um, um in, a, in a documentary, I think it's called "Is the Tall Man Happy." I think it, I don't know if it's oh, on like Netflix that or not. That's a good one. Yeah, so he, he illustrates this this point and uh, kind of on the same note of what you're saying is that it's a, all these things. As hard of a science as math is, like it's the hard. It's, it's the pinnacle of like objectivity, right? And even at that point, it's still axiomatic. You, it still only exists because we make it that that way, right? Mm-hmm. Or we recognize yeah. it that way. And so Chomsky thinks that we're stuck in the same way. He illustrated – he said that like before gravity was understood, our explanation for the scientific reason an apple falls from a tree is because it must, because it desires to fall to the tree. And that's, that's not detailed enough. And then we learned about gravity and we understand that gravity is, it works, not inv- I guess technically not invariably, but pretty darn close, right? It's pretty, pretty, pretty important sure. law. So he thinks that we're stuck thinking in the same way that people before Newton – thought about science i don't think chomsky Um, learned how to program that we need to re.
3: i don't think chomsky learned to program computers computer logic is so different i mean like it's almost oh yeah no he's super mathematical
4: he he is no absolutely because he he he's like he literally is a linguistic theorist all he does he's brilliant and he has some really insane works on on just like just why we think and stuff like that but it's like he ultimately sits in a chair and says, this is the way it is. Whereas applied linguists will be like, well, uh, judging from our descriptive experiments or ob- objectively, that might not be the case. He's like, yeah, but it's logical. Right? So that brings us back full yeah, circle. It's sort so- of-
5: it's sort of like in the philosophy of science, there's a very famous uh, famous logician named uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein.
4: Oh, I know um, Wittgenstein. He is the yeah. bane of my free. Yeah, he, people man. I mean, bring him up with linguistics
5: all the time. I'm like, This
4: is not applicable. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he thinks, he thinks he's... he's a linguist and he was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't
5: know. I was going to say it's he's one of like he's he's probably the our generation's hot philosopher, I would say. <sighs> right. Like, you know, and I mean, he's kind of like our I mean, if Nietzsche was like the, you know. 60s and 70s, like you know, Peshaw yourself, kind of, of philosophy so. guy. I think Wittgenstein is that our our generation's <laughs> Peshaw philosophy so guy. T- but he has this really interesting quote that I. He's got a, a number of very interesting quotes, but one of uh, one of my favorites is it comes from the Tractatus, which is his famous kind of like treatise on logic. And basically, he comes to a point where he says that of which we know not, we cannot speak. And basically, he he makes the argument that of things that we can't measure, of things that we can't logically come to, like this question of consciousness, Um, we just shouldn't say anything because right. we can't. We can't even start, right? How can you start on, on a, you know, if you're starting on the grounds of like a priori knowledge, you know, without any experience or anything else to back it up, well, then you're kind of already up shit's creek. Because, excuse my language, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you're already you're already stuck without a paddle. You're like, you know, you have nothing else to hold on to, and everything becomes possible. He's never heard right? of politicians. Right
4: oh my gosh <laughs> you
5: know, that's what kills Oops. me
4: have you guys have you guys heard of the uh it's a relatively new fallacy called uh, newton's flaming laser
5: sword that's mm-hmm. new that sounds new <laughs> yeah, that sounds i thought new. that was from yeah, the yeah. tone
4: okay so it says that if someone brings up a topic that is non-falsifiable don't talk about
5: it
1: mm-hmm.
5: yeah i mean yeah that's it's basically a razor. What sorry it's not a fallacy. Is, oh,
1: okay but the no
5: yeah that's that is uh i don't know why they don't call that Popper's dictum or something. Yeah, that well, was yeah, it's the
1: same
4: shit. Like, so you know, funny. Sorry. Same stuff. Actually, it's like that. Uh, that Wittgenstein says. Oh, yeah. If you, if you can't talk, if you, I don't know, man. I, I don't buy that at all. Like that's the whole point. Well, also,
3: is, if, it's a very, it's a very. If you, I mean, if you... godel's incompleteness theorem, uh, the universe is it statistical or not, etc. I'm sure you could make up my response from those sure. two things.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean the. One of my favorite philosophers of science is uh, Karl Popper. And basically that's the argument he makes for whether or not something is scientific or scientifically valid. If you – to or how does science happen in the real world, right? And his argument is that it happens by falsifying currently held beliefs, right? Science is like a chipping away I, – yeah, I just used yeah, this analogy exactly. in another thing, right? It's it's <laughs> in another uh, interview. It's like a – uh It's a chipping away of false falsehoods till we get to something like the truth,
4: right? Right. Something like the truth. That's an important distinction for the folks at home is that the scientists will never say this is true. This is true as we know it now, right? Oh, and that drives people
3: insane. The people who think that there's absolute truth. People
4: can't there's a hard tea truth out there it, and but see the thing is to think that there's a hard tea truth i would argue is logical mm-hmm. but it's not science right. it's like it, science can't exist that way it can't you can't it, say this it, we we figured it out that's the universe
1: well i would say Bye. science can science can like point to the hard tea truth but it can't actually ever get to it
4: well, that's the idea, right? It's the hows, not the whys. Right. right. So
1: then, the like the the uh, people assuming that there's a hard t truth are equally as logical as people assuming that that, that, that there isn't one, right? Yeah,
5: right. but it's also like, but it's that's also like that silly. What was that silly argument that floated around the internet for a little bit that was like one plus one doesn't equal two? Oh my god! <laughs> and it was like that's using a- some weird. It was using some like weird series expansion or something like that shows like grandma went, right. man. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was something weird like that, but it's like the same mm-hmm. thing. I mean, if you're at a point where your theory has been proven or has worked 99.99999% of the time, you know right. what I mean? Right. Or like is, every time and and you're just waiting for that next time for it mm-hmm. to be false. It makes it very hard to say that this is still just an idea or that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like my uh, one of my chemistry teachers used to say that the proof is in the pudding you know that was like his thing every time <laughs> I don't even know we were what talking that means. about quantum stuff <laughs> well whenever whenever we talked about quantum, so we were, this was a class that I took with him on on the use of quantum mechanics to to determine things about chemicals from their infrared spectrum and other kinds of spectrums uh-huh. and we'd come to a, you know there's a certain point in that class you can only ever solve one equation in that class because once you get to a, to the next form of that equation it becomes impossible you need a computer wow. right? Right. So, and so if you're teaching different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're you're trying to solve the potential function, oh, the infinite well. Yeah, yeah. If you're trying to solve the infinite well for a single electron atom, then you're okay. But once you get to two, it becomes, uh, you know, too computationally difficult for you to do it by hand, right? And so the, you know, he would just kind of be like, okay, well how do we know it works? All this math's too complicated. Well, the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> and then he would take out his laser pointer and like shine it at your face. You'd yeah. <laughs> be like, look, lasers, we have lasers. It works, you know? Right. Um, and it's, but it, but it's really, yeah, I, I think it's true. And it's, yeah, there's it nothing. To I do didn't with get the laser out. thing. I thought I you just, he, that he does not like to shine lasers <laughs> in people's faces.
1: <laughs>
5: he kind of probably did too. Yeah. My only
1: problem Anyways. with that, and this isn't, I am aware this is like not a good argument, but you can never be a 100 like entirely certain that what you're perceiving in your context is actually true like that your perception of reality is correct because we're maybe like known. maybe that's a huge question right, like maybe yeah, things work say, in I mean, this little thing we've made up but maybe that's not really what's going on at all so uh,
4: yes yeah, the idea listen, of, of uh, descriptive parameters right like the the rules that we follow because we're already following yeah
1: them. yeah
5: well on on this on that question i always like to joke that Descartes came up with that same problem once and he solved it. He solved it in such a way that he was then never able to do anything else useful ever again. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like Descartes solved it and was like, well, all I can know is that I exist and I guess I'm retired. (laughs) Right. Like, what else the, can I know? I
1: think that's kind of a Nothing. problem with most philosophy is that you you end up at that point and then you can logically justify ignoring pretty much everything going on.
5: Oh my goodness, we can do, we can do a whole thing on infinitely regressive <laughs> philosophical right. arguments. It drives I, me crazy. I think that's
1: what I do you know in I mean? my head automatically. That's like my autopilot. <laughs> we can I
5: yeah, took a, I, I took a course on. Uh, I took a course on on Marxism. In uh, grad, sc- not in grad school, in undergrad, at uh, at in philosophy because it was considered like it's still considered, and it really was a, full, a phenomenal class. It's considered like one of the best philosophy classes at, at UNH, and probably one of the best ones on the East Coast, I'd imagine at least at least available to people not in like you know super crazy, super fancy colleges mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, um, and it's taught by a by a philosopher who actually has his own podcast, or he did have his own podcast. Bring him he still to does it. me. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't. I think it was like a, it was on and it was on New Hampshire NPR. For oh, no way. I should see if I should see if he's still if he's interested in peeing on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'm but kidding, uh, yeah, he's he's anyways, he's awesome. So his uh, his name is Nick Smith. He teaches at UNH still. And so he's like famous for the philosophy of apologies. Actually, and like what does an apology actually mean? What is it? What is it worth? You know what I mean? Anyways, this this Marxism course though is like it's famous at the school because you take it and he's so effective at arguing the from the position of like capitalism is evil and capitalism is making you think the things that you think do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's almost like it's almost like being outside the matrix but like you're in the matrix and you're like everything you're seeing is the matrix and so whatever you say to me that says i'm not in the matrix i can just say you're in the matrix <laughs> right right <laughs> that's like yeah. ultimately that's ultimately what that argument becomes it's like it's like you know well whatever we only buy uh lamps we only buy jewelry because you know capitalism telling us to buy jewelry and it's all marketing whatever and you're like well i like this i think the stones are pretty no <laughs> you only think they're pretty because of capitalism you know what i mean and it, and it becomes this thing where course. like for like a year you're taking this course and you're just like every day you're like Oh, I don't see any way out of this problem. <laughs> right. you, know, you know what I mean? You're like, I don't see any way out of this argument. Newton's
4: flaming and then, laser sword.
5: Yes. And then, well, and then finally you get to the, you get, you like end of the course and you like have a summer off and you come back and like, you know, your Nikes and your, you know, you know you come back with like a new uh you think you're american patriot or whatever you your yeah exactly you you come you come back with everything you're like well i guess i don't care anymore <laughs> like i got i got through the class i guess the fact that that arguments like right, was really right. hard to refute doesn't matter to us anymore well
1: i guess cuz you can't perceive or really know or trust anything that that you're not actually like experiencing immediately so in the end, the only thing you have is, like, falsifiable uh, evidence in your context, and you can't make, like, a legit judgment off of anything but that.
3: Last yeah. Tuesday-ism. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Was- what is that?
3: <laughs> oh, would, it just reminds me of Last tuesday <laughs> where you say the universe was created in all of its places, everybody with their thoughts in their minds, and the trees with their rings in them. Last Tuesday.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, Prove man. him wrong, right? Prove him wrong. Exactly. And that's the thing. I love Elon Musk comes out and is like – or was it Elon Musk that said we're in a simulation or he thought maybe No, we he were? was
1: certain of it. He was like uh, – the, the logic behind it was he said because technology has advanced so quickly and humans die out so fast or they should given our like limited resources, that it's almost – it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that we are not in a simulation. And he gave something like some kind of fraction, like a billionth or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like there's like I – mean, Poor like, Elon
3: he's Musk. He like, tried so mean, hard.
5: Honestly, it's like he, he could have – I know really – that argument, like, you know, when that happened, like, everyone I knew on Facebook was like, Chris, you got to sue this. This guy, like, invented a battery. It's like, he didn't even invent a battery. He just bought the rights to a battery from someone right. else. Like, that's not well. interesting. Was, I,
1: I, think, I think he has a point God. to... I've seen that before, way before Musk, that the universe is a simulation, is when you see some kind of inconsistencies in mathematical perception, like uh, that calculations don't work out exactly the way that you would anticipate them. Like the rays of the sun are not at the right angle or there are uh, things which don't line up the mathematics that we currently have.
5: But I, I, guess, I guess the problem I have with that argument, at least, is that it could be then anything. Exactly, yeah. Right? We could be like Frank Reynolds says – we could be floating around in a turtle's dream. <laughs> you know what we I mean? We might be. That's useless. Yeah, we could be in anything, right? It could be aliens. Giorgio could be right. <laughs> it could just be aliens.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a silly,
5: it's su- ultimately, a yeah, silly Yeah, yeah. It's argument. like
4: conspiracy theory. Like, it, 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 it's even farther than that. It becomes to the point to where it's not useful, exactly. which is sort no. of. So,
5: can we say that? It's not like the Occam's razor, right? Yeah. Well, it becomes like it becomes like a pragmatic approach. It's like, OK, well, whatever. We're all in a simulation. We got to live in this simulation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, I better still go to yeah, work but I th- because because my boss isn't going to take or the guy at McDonald's isn't going to take. No, it's a simulation. <laughs> Give me a burger. <laughs> As an answer. Right, I know right. what happy is. You know what I mean? <laughs> Unless maybe you're Elon Musk, and you show up and you're like, oh, I was just a simulation. But I think that, you know, go ahead. No, that was it. Oh. I was just I'm gonna, I'll keep, I can no, keep bragging no, no. yeah. on Elon Musk. <laughs> like, so, Send me a Tesla,
1: Elon. Musk. Somebody should because thing. everybody that's my age, I think, and probably about a decade younger than most of you, is like huge Elon Musk fan. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm actually a huge I, I, I Elon am, Musk fan. I am so. a huge Elon Musk fan, but I don't get information about simulations based off of oh, Elon no, Musk because I feel like he's like creative in kind of the same way that writers are creative and then you just take it too far like you have one kind of thinking that you're aware of and you take that way too far to the point where where everybody else is like i don't know what's going on here well it's the
4: same it's the same like uh i'm not i'm obviously not gonna go on a a political tangent but it's the same thing like um so noam chomsky is a foundational linguist right he come out like the dude is like invented so many theories in the 50s that still some of them hold up as as much as he's changed them all, uh, but he also has these what's it called a uh, anarcho socialist right mm-hmm. and so he talks about this stuff and people believe all of his rhetoric because he's a brilliant linguist. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. So the same right. thing with Elon Musk for me right. is that like yeah you can I don't believe we're in a simulation but I do want a self sustaining solar powered car that I never have to <laughs> yeah, fill yeah, up yeah, exactly
5: yeah. yeah I mean it's it's the myth of the. Uh I mean, what's it? It's the myth of the lab code, right? It's right. Exactly. Really they seem yeah. to be really good at this, although everyone should respect my lab.
1: Right. Everyone's lab
5: code on this particular episode should be <laughs> <Yes>. very, <laughs> <much respected. laughs> Everyone. And listen, if they got a blank for non none lab coat. Li- logo on their thing. Then <laughs> oh, we're okay. in second grade, yeah, talking it, huh?
3: about lab coats, just random, maybe a little bit of a re- refresher or whatever. I wore a lab coat to school as a mad scientist that had um, legitimate cadaver juice on it. It was my mom's.
5: Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> no. You were a cool little kid. Kind of little kid I'd like to meet. That was awesome, dude. Yeah, totally. Cool. That's Nothing hilarious.
4: Ever did. Yeah, no, no. Doesn't, that pales in comparison. Did we have a proper stopping point? Because I think it's just going to stop.
1: We had – what were we talking about? We were talking about Halloween –
4: uh, oh, okay
1: cool, yeah. cool 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 alright we'll, we'll figure it yeah. out
3: and that's the end of part two if you enjoyed these episodes you could support blank for non blank at patreon.com slash blank for non blank or you could continue to support breaking math at breakingmathpodcast.com slash blank for non blank and for more content from blank for non blank you could subscribe at the link found at tinyurl.com slash batteryhorse thank you and keep breaking math